Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We're going to carry on with our James series. This is the series where we've been walking through the book of James. There are five chapters in the book of James. We've been through chapters one through four. And so today we're going through chapter five. Allah, this is the final in the series. Um, James is written by a guy who was Jesus's half-brother. Coincidentally, his name was James, which makes things easy. So James was written in about AD 46. Jesus had passed away in about AD 33. We know that because zero is, before that is BC, before Christ, and after that is AD. AD 33, Jesus passes away and he rises again and then he goes up to be with the Father in their glorious ascension. And then we have James, Jesus' brother. And during that time of Jesus' ministry here on earth, James actually didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, uh, in Mark chapter 3, we read that James and his other siblings had tried to end Jesus' ministry and asked him to come home to carry on with the responsibilities that the oldest son at the time needed to carry on with. Um, After Jesus' death and then resurrection and and, uh, in the period of time before his ascension, Jesus met with James face to face and James had a personal encounter with Jesus as, as the Messiah. The book of James is a short one, but it's been called the uh, New Testament's Proverbs. It carries a lot of great wisdom in there about how to live our life. And that's why we're calling uh, this series, The Marks of Maturity. You see, not everyone who grows old grows up. And James in this book is addressing our need to become spiritually mature. In the first week in chapter one, Pastor Tony shared around stability and how we need to keep our joy. We need to ask for wisdom. We need to keep perspective. We need to stay away from temptation and remember God's goodness. In chapter two, Pastor Ashley shared around uh, faith. And who remembers that red car that he talked about, the red car that was parked out in the backyard that no one actually drives or moves. And Pastor Ashley talked about a dead faith versus a a demonic faith and a dynamic faith. Uh, In week three, in James chapter three, uh, Pastor Tony shared around wisdom, worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. All of these messages are available on our podcasts uh, through our website or through the podcasting app on your phone. I'd encourage you to go back and have a listen of all of these messages because there's so much gold in each one. And then last week, Pastor Ashley shared around James chapter four with the key theme being peace. He said that we all face battles But the true test of the battle isn't whether we've won, but whether we've kept our peace. And today we're looking at the final chapter, chapter five, with the key theme being patience. So what can James, a book written in AD 46, teach us about patience 2,000 years later? You see, the thing about the Christian faith is that truth isn't relative. In our culture, we say that a truth is relative for us. So a truth may mean something to me, but it may mean something different to you. But in in Christianity, the truth is the truth. And what was written in AD 46 is just as much the truth for us today as it was 2,000 years ago. See, we need to take our theology and put it through the lens 
of the truth. See, what is true for us in 2017 in this nice warm auditorium needs to be the same truth as our Christian brothers and sisters have in Africa, in China, in Syria. You see, the truth is the truth. It's not a truth. So what James shared with us in AD 46 is very relevant. So James chapter 5, verse 7 to 18. I'm going to read this through, but it's on the screens behind me. And please um, follow along on your uh, Bible. Does anyone actually bring a physical Bible? Anyone? Does anyone go and wave it in the air? There we go. Daniel, Elise, good on you. You're the spiritual ones. <laughs> the rest of us use our um, tablets. James 5, 7 to 18. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient. Everyone say that, patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage. Turn to your neighbour and say courage. For the, take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honour to these who, those who endure under suffering. Say endure. endure. We'll come back to that in a moment. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else, just a simple yes or no, so that no sin, so that you will not sin and be condemned. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. Are we sensing a theme here this morning? Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. See, James wrote this book... <coughs> in the context of where he was at the time. You see, up until this time, there'd been about 13 or 14 years since Jesus had passed away, there'd been a great persecution of the Christians in Jerusalem. At about AD 33, Jesus passed away and, then a couple of, and for a couple of years, there was a really great time of blessing and prosperity for the church in Jerusalem and there's, numbers were added to them daily. But then we read in Acts chapter seven about a guy called Stephen, Stephen was placed on trial and spoke words that they, the Jewish authorities and the leaders didn't agree with and they ended up dragging him out of the city and stoning him to death. And that was the beginning of the first real wave of persecution that the church in Jerusalem had seen. You see, the early Christians were mainly from the Jewish faith. Up until the time of the Council of Jerusalem, which was a little bit after AD 46, most of the Christians at this time were Jews. And because of this persecution that the Jewish leaders at the time 
had been uh, doing against them, they had scattered across Asia Minor and across the Roman Empire throughout uh, everywhere that they go. And James is writing in this passage to remind these first Christians, these persecuted Christians, the Christians that were beaten, that were stoned, that had their things taken from them and confiscated, these Christians that became refugees from their homeland and had to be scattered throughout the Roman Empire, He's writing to remind these first Christians to be patient and to remember that this life is just a stop on the journey. It isn't the destination. Heaven is the destination. You see, although the early Christians were persecuted, tortured and forced into exile, James reminds them to patiently endure and to not expect from this world only what the next world can give. You see, we were created to live in an eternal relationship with God. We are designed to have a long view on life, keeping one eye on now and one eye on eternity. You see, there are things in this world that can feel heavenly. I don't know if you've ever been to Indian temptations and had their butter chicken, but my goodness, that tastes heavenly. You know, watching the footy and seeing Collingwood get smashed, that is... Heavenly. Am I right, John? Is John here this morning? Buying a brand new jacket and getting out there and buying something, that makes us feel good. It can feel heavenly. Buying a piece of clothing, buying new shoes, buying a new car, it makes us feel good. And even watching something as simple as watching a baby being born and watching your own child being born, it can feel heavenly. But they are glimpses into what paradise will be not the full view. And just that, they are just that, they're a glimpse because we know that, you know, once we've eaten that Indian temptations, you'll soon be hungry again. After seeing Collingwood lose, they will at some point win. (laughs) Every jacket you buy or every article of clothing that you get will soon be out of fashion and will wear out and fade and every baby born will soon become a teenager. (laughs) Just joking, love you guys. But we get these glimpses into paradise to understand that this isn't the full view. Everything that we have will wear and we get into this cycle of trying to replace that feeling. We try to get from this earth what only the next world can give us. You see, this world will never be paradise and no matter how hard we try, we will never fill that void within us because you don't have to look too far to get a glimpse of how seriously fallen this world is. You see, in our time, I can guarantee that there will be many, many happy times. There'll be many, many glimpses into heaven. But there will also be times that you'll be hurt, you'll be ripped off, you'll be broken, humiliated and rejected because people are hurt and broken and we live in a fallen world. You will endure heartache, you will endure pain and tragedy but we patiently endure this world because we know that on the other side is paradise. We have a hunger for paradise built into us, but it's when we lose our eternal perspective, we put an expectation on this world to be something that it just can't be. And in attempting to create a paradise for ourselves on earth, we can rip ourselves off in eternity. Author Beth Moore, does anyone know Beth Moore? I hadn't heard of her until I started reading through this. 
Author Beth Moore says, all that will matter in eternity is the glory that came to God as a result of my life. I will be most blessed when God is glorified. You see, it's natural for us to live in the moment. It's natural for us to live in the now because that's how we're conditioned. We watch TV and it tells us to buy this because it'll make us feel better. You know, you watch one of those shopping channels and it says buy this ab swing and you have abs in, you know, two or three days. I've got abs, they're just hiding. (laughs) We're conditioned by society, by our culture to be important, to be, sorry, impulsive and to live for the moment. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. See, when we have an eternal mindset, we think differently and we act differently. And reading James chapter 5, there are some keys given to us on how to live this life patiently and with an eternal perspective. See, patience requires endurance. James chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. You see, this was originally written in the Greek language because we know that the Roman Empire, where Jerusalem was a part of, the, the, the national language of that time was the Greek language. So James wrote this in the, in the language of Greek to be spread out across the Roman Empire so that anyone could read it. And see, we know patience in our context. Um, my kids, every day, every day, every night, just before tea, they'll run up and say, is dinner ready yet? You say, no, not yet, 10 more minutes. You know, can I have my dessert now or can I have my chocolate now? Just be patient, just wait a few more minutes. It's not time yet. You see, we understand patience in our context. But there's a difference between the patience that we read in the English and the patience that was written in the Greek context. This patience had the element of endure in it. It can be translated as the word long-suffering. You see, we went to the Barossa Valley yesterday, and if you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen the stories. We went to the Barossa Valley because some of the best gelati that you'll find anywhere in Australia is found in Tanunda at a little place called Beans and Cream. And so we went, made this trek up to Tanunda to get some gelati, even though it was only five degrees or something. It was very cold, but there's nothing that can stop us from getting gelati. The trip to Barossa, we couldn't go the short way, so we went around the long way through Elizabeth. And we knew the trip was worthwhile because the gelati was at the end of it. We knew the destination. And Sarah and I were content, but in the back there were the kids You see, we can be patient as we wait for the gelati, but as parents, we had to endure through... Are we there yet? How much further? Five minutes after we've left home? Oh, I need to go to the toilet. Oh, really? Okay, we'll endure through that. We endure because we know the prize that's at the end. And as Christians, we pray for our kids. We patiently pray for our children every night before they go to bed. We patiently pray for them. But endurance happens when we bring our children to church, even when they don't want to be. Because we want our children to have a strong faith. There's a difference between patience and endurance. You see, in English, we read patience as the capacity to accept or tolerate delay. But if we go back to the Greek, this word patience not only means the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, 
but it is more accurately translated as long-suffering. For example, having or showing patience in spite of troubles, especially those caused by other people. James goes on to give us an example of someone who demonstrated this long-suffering. James chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, it says, For examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honour to those prophets who, in, who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him in the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. You see, Job was someone who, again, had a book named after him, because the book is all about him. You see, Job was someone that was immensely wealthy. He was the Bill Gates of his time. He was very popular. He had lots of kids. He had lots of things that made his life well. But in a moment, everything was taken from him. His wealth was taken from him. He became broke and destitute. His children were all taken from him. And even his health was taken from him. But he refused to let any of these things dent his trust in God. You see, sitting in the dust with boils covering his body after losing everything and everyone, he says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. See, Job kept his eyes on God. He patiently endured his suffering and God blessed Job's later life even more than his early life. We will face battles. We will face tough times. We will be experience unbelievable pain and it is right to hurt. It is right to sometimes to sit in the dust and it's right to endure through this pain because we know that paradise is just around the corner. Yeah. See, we don't have to look back thousands of years to see examples of endurance. William Wilberforce is someone who explained amazing endurance. He was born in England in about 1759 and he went along to Cambridge University and became, at the age of 21, he was elected to the House of Lords, to the Parliament in England. He was someone who was immensely wealthy, had great power, and he was very young. And he used all of those things for all of the wrong reasons. He lived it up. But in 1785, at the age of 26, he had an encounter with God and he was radically saved and changed and transformed. It was in that year that he met John Newton. We know John Newton as the author of the song Amazing Grace. But John Newton was also a slave trader up until the time that he had an encounter with God. John Newton was someone that would sail down from England to the west coast of Africa, forcibly take people from that land and then take them to the new world to work in the plantations. You see, at the time, England was the greatest superpower, but England was also the greatest trader of slaves. Ships by the hundreds sailed from England down to the west coast of Africa, forcibly taking people and taking them over to the new world. It was highly profitable and it was national policy. Traders used their tremendous wealth to influence politicians and to influence those in Parliament. After meeting with John Newton and sitting on it for a couple of years, at the age of 28, he introduced his first bill into Parliament to see the abolition of the slave trade. And I've got to tell you, it was knocked back and defeated resoundingly. The initial bill was soundly defeated. But that didn't stop William Wilberforce. For 20 years, he kept on campaigning. He kept on advocating. He kept on meeting with politicians and meeting with different people. And every year, he introduced a bill to Parliament to abolish the slave trade. And every year, that bill was defeated. And this went on for 20 
years. The endurance that it takes to get knocked back every year, year after year, for 20 years, is unbelievable. But finally, in 1807, the bill was passed and the slave trade was officially abolished. And this was a true turning point in the history of the world. If we look back at the great markers of our history, this is one of them. And it led to the momentum of having all of the slaves in the entire British Empire freed several years later and 800,000 people were freed from slavery because of the work of William Wilberforce, because of his patient endurance. William Wilberforce had an eternal perspective and it was his endurance that saw him through it. And it was his endurance that saw him coming back again and again and again, smashing into this thing until it was finally broken. You see, just like Job and just like William Wilberforce, we endure the pain, we endure the heartache we meet in this world with the knowledge that something better is around the corner, that paradise is our true destination and heaven is our home. You see, endure simply means to continue to exist. That feels hard. I know it feels hard. You see, I've been in the, bin, the, in the bottom of the valley. I've been in the storm. But what I've got to tell you is I've made it through. And I know that people are in valleys. I know that people are in storms. There's waves buffeting you. The winds are blowing. The rain is pouring down. You feel like there's no hope. You feel like there's no future. But the word endure means to continue to exist. Yeah. All we need to do is just keep walking. Just take one step after the other. Just take one step. Just take one step. There are times in our lives where things are good and we can plan ahead and we can jump five or six steps ahead. But in the storm, all you need to do is endure. All you need to do is to continue to exist. Put one step in front of the other. Just keep on walking. You see, the Apostle Paul references a runner in many of his writings. He says that life is like a race. You see, the runner endures the cold mornings, the diet, the practice over and over for years and years and years to run a race that lasts seconds, but for a prize that will last into eternity. And that's what we are called to do, to endure through the pain because we have the prize at the end. To live this life patiently with an eternal perspective, we need to endure and we need to have courage. James 5 verse 8 says, Take Courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Life is short. When describing life in chapter 4, James describes life as a mist or a vapour. As soon as the sun appears, the sun comes up, that mist just disappears. James uses that analogy because it's just what life is, because eternity, this life is just like that fog. But life is too short to live scared, too scared of making decisions, too scared of making mistakes, too scared to take action. God may have put someone on your heart to talk to. Youth, God may have told you to ask someone to the winter project, not the winter project, that's old people speak, but winter project. <laughs> God has placed someone on your heart to invite to winter project and it's, life is too short to live scared. You don't know what can happen if only you take action. We need to be bold, we need to be courageous. You see, courage is in the absence of fear or worry, but it's taking control of that fear, putting it in its place, putting it in its place, and moving forward anyway. 
You see, I grew up in Sejuna. Many of you know that. Sejuna is a coastal resort town uh, about 800 kilometres west of here. It's just a small country town. And one of the things that every teenage boy does is we play footy. And uh, the thing that you may not know about me, despite my words to the otherwise, is that I wasn't the greatest footballer. I know that there may be a shock to some of you. I wasn't uh, the most skillful player. I wasn't the fastest player. I wasn't the strongest football player by any means. I wasn't as strong as I am now back then. Um, But I had the biggest mouth. You see, I was the heckler on the team. Not only was I able to shout words of encouragement down the field because I had a big loud mouth. You know, come on, it's great, get in front of your man. You know, I was able to do all of that, but I was also the greatest heckler. You see, I was, uh, if, if the opposition missed a kick or dropped a mark, I was right there to remind them of it. <laughs> Not in the moment, but ongoing over and over and over <laughs> to point them to the scoreboard, to let them know that they're losing and just to remind them how overall terrible they were. You see, because I wasn't the strongest, because I wasn't the fastest, I had to be careful. In my role in the team, I was in the back pocket But in the full back position, right next to me was a guy named Pimmy. Everyone has a nickname in uh, country towns, except for me. I was just called Phil. (laughs) Uh, So I had Pimmy right next to me, and Pimmy was a bull. He was huge. Pimmy was my full back, and he was the toughest guy that I had ever met. Pimmy's arms were as thick as my waist. And we called him the bull because when he charges for the bull, B-U-L-L, when he charges for the ball on the football field, you just got to get out of his way or you'll just be steamrolled. This guy was huge and uh, he was very strong and I had the confidence to be able to heckle anyone I wanted to as long as Pimmy was right there beside me. You see, Pimmy was so strong, he didn't have oranges at halftime, he ate rocks. This guy was tough. So as long as I was near Pimmy, I was able to yell out, and to shout out as much heckling as I could because I knew that as soon as anyone turned around and saw Pimmy, they were, oh, okay, let's just keep walking. <laughs> no one would come near me while Pimmy was beside me. You see, when that's, and that's what it's like in our life. As we journey through our game, as we journey through our life, we know that there's someone walking alongside of us every single step of the way. We have the Lord of hosts walking with us. Joshua 1 verse 9 says, In the same way I was with Moses, this is God speaking, I will be with you. I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. Strength, courage. You are going to lead these these people to inherit the land that I promised to their ancestors. Give it everything you have, all your heart and all your soul. You see, just like Big Pimmy's presence on the football field gave me the courage that I needed, God's presence walking alongside you will give you the courage that you need to do your role, to fulfil your call and to fulfil your purpose. You see, God's presence gave David the courage to face Goliath. God's presence gave Joshua the courage to enter the promised land. God's presence gave Elijah the courage to take on the priests of Baal. God's presence gave Joseph the courage to follow his dreams. God's presence gave Esther the courage to approach a king to save her people. God's presence gives us the courage to get up every morning and fight. No matter what the valley, 
no matter what the storm we're in, God's presence gives us the courage that we need to fight through every step of the way. God is with you, journeying alongside of you, and that gives us the courage that we need. You see, it takes courage to live your life in a God-honouring way and to follow His plan and design for your life. It takes courage to live in a counter-cultural way and save yourself before marriage. It's counter-cultural and takes courage to be at youth on a Friday night or young adults on a Wednesday night instead of out drinking and out with, the, with your friends at the clubs. It's counter-cultural and takes courage to invest your finance into the church to see people's eternity changed rather than investing in stocks, shares or property. It's counter-cultural and takes courage to choose to see the best in people, to not gossip and slander, but to speak positively. But we do these things because we live for something much larger than this life. As Christians, we understand we have a hunger for eternity and it's a hunger only a relationship with Jesus can fill. To live this life patiently and with an eternal perspective, we need to endure, we need to have courage and we need to pray. If the band could come, that would be great. James 5, 16 to 18. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. You see, we explain prayer as just simply a conversation with God. It's just talking to God. It's just telling Him about how you're feeling. It's about presenting your petitions and requests. But the earnest in front of that speaks of passion and conviction, but also of persistence and action. Not just praying and letting it go, but praying and continue to pray. Not just leaving it with God, praying once and leaving it with God, but praying every single day that we, uh, and as often as we can. But it's then also about stepping out in faith and beginning to move, move as if God has heard your prayers. You see, our children understand the power of persistence and supermarkets understand the power of persistence. And how many of you have been shopping and, see, and, and had your child say to you, can I have this? Normally it's a chocolate bar or a Kinder Surprise egg. You say, no, put it away. And then for five minutes later, they're still walking around holding that Kinder Surprise egg going, Dad, 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 <laughs> can I have this egg? No, you can't have it, just put it away. And then you finally get to the checkout and you get to the conveyor belt and you're putting things on and all of a sudden this Kinder Surprise egg is on the conveyor belt. I thought I told you no. I said, oh, please, Dad, please. The power of persistence. Yeah, okay, you can have the Kinder Surprise egg and then you find all the rubbish in your car afterwards. <laughs> the power of a persistent prayer. The parable of the persistent widow, which is found in Luke chapter 18, is a great example of persistence. It goes on to say there was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about the people. And a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear about God, I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. 
I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? The power of a persistent prayer. When we pray for something, for healing, for a miracle, for provision, is it a prayer that we do once at night as we're half asleep and we're about to fall asleep? Or is it something that we are intentional, that we're purposeful about, that we make time in our day? Are we praying for our children, not just in the five minutes before we fall asleep, but are we making time every day to pray for our children? You know, we've got winter project coming up at the second week of the school holidays. And church, I would love it if you prayed every single day. This, the winter project is titled Awakening. And we're believing for an awakening in our young people. We're believing for a move of God that will ripple through their schools, through their schools, Kings Baptist, Power Hills, Tyndale, every single school. We're believing for lives to be changed. We're believing for young people to have an encounter with God. We're believing for dreams to be awakened. We're dreaming for the, for the next politicians, for the next leaders to be, find it this time that they will look back and the winter project of this year, 2017, will be the line in the sand. But we can't just expect them to rock up and for that to happen. We need to pray. We need to earnestly pray. Church, please pray for our youth in the lead up to Winter Project. Prayer is not only an avenue to present our requests to God, but prayer is our lifeline to God. We cannot endure unless we're in constant communication with our Creator. God is the one that will give us the strength to endure. God is the one that will give us the courage to fight on. You see, God is the... Jesus talks about Himself when He's meeting the woman at the well with the Samaritan woman and He says... If you'd known, you would ask me for a drink because I could give you rivers of living water. And God is here this morning and God wants to give you a water so that you won't thirst again. And we need to be continually praying so that we're topped up spiritually to be able to endure and to be able to have the courage to fight on. Prayer brings perspective. It refreshes us and it fills our spiritual tank so that we can have the courage we need. You might find it hard to pray. You may find it hard to find the time. But I encourage you to make time. Even if it's five minutes a day, make the time. Put it aside. Spend an intentional, purposeful time with God every day. And you will find yourself getting strength that you didn't know you had. You see, we were created to live in an eternal relationship with God. We are designed to have a long view on life keeping one eye on now and one eye on eternity. There are things in this world that can feel heavenly. They can give us a glimpse into what paradise will be like. But it's when we lose our eternal perspective, we put expectation on this world to be something that it can't be. To live this life patiently, keeping an eternal perspective, we need to endure, we need courage, and we need to pray. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 